The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. And between Dr. Kathy Greenberg and myself, this is Dr. Relly Nadler, we have helped thousands of individuals to perform in the top 10%. You know, in our Leadership Development News, now we're in our ninth year, and we are the number two ranked business show on the Voice America Network. We have over a million downloads on our shows in the last four years, with millions of listeners in 27 countries uh, and 126 cities. So our goal really is to help you perform in the top 10%, or if you lead a team, to help your team perform in the top 10%. And we're really excited today to have a top performer who's going to talk to us about top performance, uh, Kerry Fraser. He has a new book out called The Final Call. And after well over 2,000 games and 30 years wearing stripes, legendary NHL National Hockey League official, Fraser dropped his final puck at the end of 2009-2010 and relived his colorful career officiating hockey in his candid book, The Final Call. Kerry was uh, born in 1952 in Sarnia, Ontario, uh, is the most senior referee in the National Hockey League. He joined the NHL Officials Association in 1973 and officiated his first game in 1980-81. to He retired from officiating after the 2009-10 season, but is an active NHL analyst, he lives with his lovely wife, Kathy, in New Jersey. And so we, before we bring on Kerry, and we have some questions that we want to uh, ask him and dig into his expertise, let me uh, say a word about my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kathy Greenberg. And anybody who's been listening to our shows for over nine years uh, knows Kathy and her uh, expertise in helping entire companies improve their work-life strategies based on positive psychology and now the new science of courage. Kathy's been named the First Lady of Happiness by ABC TV. She's authored multiple popular books on the science of happiness, including What Happy Working Mothers Know. She touches millions as a much-in-demand speaker, TV, and radio, and media personality. Kathy's the founder of four consultancies and three leadership institutes, and she actively supports behavioral research by offering friendly tips and tools to be your best. She has a free iPhone app called Your Happiness Now where you can see her lovely face and you can get some of the tips from her, and that's available on iTunes. And her latest focus has been on working with special forces, sports athletes, and global executives. And the book uh, from that work is called Fearless Leaders, 
sharpen your focus. It's available on Amazon, and it has a fully integrated software platform that you can go to help you and your team become fearless leaders. So you can get more information about her, her team, her working warriors, special operation coaches. It's www.fearlessleadersquiz.com. Let me repeat that, www.fearlessleadersquiz.com, and you can get free leadership-style quiz and, and free downloads. So, Kathy, welcome. Thanks, Riley. It's going to be a lot of fun today to talk to Carrie. Uh, he's just an amazing human being. Uh, he and his wife, Kathy, are uh, just uh, wonderful, wonderful people who have a big heart and are well-loved uh, in, um, in many different areas, but of, especially, of course, in the National Hockey League. Uh, today, before we get started with, uh, with Carrie, I want to make sure that everybody who's listening knows who my number one coach is, my number one referee, and that is Dr. Relly Nadler. <laughs> thought you'd enjoy that, Relly. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> so uh, for those of you who don't know Relly, he is a master-level certified executive coach, psychologist, for, uh, corporate leadership team trainer. And, of, of course, many of you know Relly by his, um, you know, his legendary expertise in emotional intelligence. Uh, Relly's newest top-ranked book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, provides hundreds of tools, tips, and strategies to help you develop star performers across industries and to develop yourself. And you can visit Relly at truenorthleadership.com. You can get lots of free downloads to access your best performance. And you can also get that same emotional intelligence excitement at his free iApp called Leadership Keys. You can download that from the iTunes store. You can also join Relly at EI Central, which is where you can go to get lots of great information on emotional intelligence and the latest thinking from Relly, as he is one of the most popular bloggers on psychology today with over 100,000 reads. And you can look for more resources from Relly simply by going to EI Central. So text EI Central to 38470. That's EI Central to 38470. Or visit him at truenorthleadership.com. So today we want to bring you um, somebody who is uh, a new friend and a colleague um, that I am uh, honored uh, to uh, have met recently. And... Um, you know, I don't know, Relly, if there's anything you want to say about why we do the show or why yeah, we have such an interest in leaders. I'll just say just a quick word, and then we'll jump right mm-hmm. to Carrie because I, I think Great. she can have some expertise. But for especially for some of our new newer listeners, you know, why do we talk about leadership? Uh, and Carrie can speak to this too. The leader is what we would call the emotional thermostat of the team. You know, that that can be the star player, that can be the coach, that can be the the leader of your executive team, and they set the tone for performance. And one of the keys that we know when you look at how smart someone is, IQ, you look at their technical expertise, and then you look at this concept of emotional intelligence. A lot of the research is saying that emotional intelligence, understanding yourself, managing yourself, understanding others, managing others, has anywhere from 50 to about 80% influence over the success factors. So that's why we want to give you some key tips and tools, either for yourself or your team, typically it's not around the technical piece, but it's really about how to use your emotional intelligence uh, a little bit more. So, Kathy, maybe say a little bit more about Kerry, and then we'll bring him on. Well, you know, we uh, would like to introduce our friend that we meet 
across the globe to our friends here on Leadership Development News. And I believe after nine years, we have a lot of friends <laughs> around the world, which is nice to know. It is, isn't it? Um, and, you know, I, I met um, Carrie and his lovely wife, uh, Kathy, uh, at a recent CIA-FBI roundtable that we were conducting to help the McClef organization, and for those of you who don't know what that is, that's the Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation, which is an organization that provides uh, scholarships and financial support for those who have fallen in the line of duty or for those who have children in need of special assistance. And uh, we were delighted to be able to host uh, Carrie and his wife, Kathy, at uh, our function in that at my table, and uh, Father Mannion, Monsignor Michael Mannion, who I've been referring to quite a bit lately in our shows, who worked with Mother Teresa for over 28 years, is our common denominator. But Carrie is also, uh, he's just a hero here in our area, as he is across NHL. And, of course, that's because we are the home of the uh, the Broad Street Bullies, um, uh, a loving name given to our uh, team called the Flyers. And uh, before I bring Kerry on, I just want to, you know, I've been pouring through his book, The Final Call, uh, Hockey Stories from a Legend in Stripes, and just a couple things uh, about him that I'd like our audience to know. You know, we, we did say that Kerry has... Um, retired from officiating, but like many of us, we continue our journey, and Kerry continues his involvement in the National Hockey League community by participating in a TSN.ca blog named Come On Ref, and you'll hear that a lot when you're on the ice. Come on, Ref, you know, like you don't want him to make that call or you want him to do something or intervene, but um, it's where Kerry applies his, uh, his NHL referee experience to many controversial calls, in addition uh, to being an analyst on NHL games. And it's funny because um, his father, Hilton, Hilt Frazier, had him skating at 15 months old. That's a great story about finding him little skates, um, chasing pucks at 11 and refereeing by the age of 15. And um, I love the way he, he says, you know, at just five foot seven inches tall, Frazier says that his height contributed to his longevity in the league by forcing him to develop techniques to avoid being hit by the puck. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. Fraser currently holds the record for most NHL regular season and playoff games refereed, uh, in addition to, uh, to calling well over 2,000 regular games uh, across the seasons where he uh, was um, yeah, a ref. He, he did 13 Stanley Cup finals. Uh, and survived, <laughs> which is saying a lot. Over 261 Stanley Cup playoff games since joining the league in 1980. He officiated the 1996 World Cup of Hockey and the 1998 Winter Olympics in Japan, which was the first Olympic tournament to feature National Hockey League participation. He also officiated two All-American games um, and the 2010 NHL Winter Classic. Uh, he's just an amazing human being. Um, he wore the uniform number two. He was one of the last three NHL officials covered by, uh, I guess, what they call the grandfather clause that allowed him to go without a helmet, uh, thus allowing his signature bouffant hairstyle. And we'll talk about Kerry's signature hairstyle as it appears to be somewhat of a, uh, a current uh, uh, I, I should say, comment by many of his uh, teammates who I bump into here and there, and Carrie can tell us more about that. But the best thing uh, of all 
uh, about Kerry is not only uh, is he a wonderful human being uh, with a wonderful history and many seasons of good fortune as a hero in the National Hockey League, League industry, but he's also um, a great dad and a wonderful grandfather. Welcome to the show, Kerry. Thank you so much, guys. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I must tell you, I must ask you, where the heck were you when I started my career? Because I had to figure out, you know, that doctors of thought and doctors of emotion, I had to figure it all out on my own in a very hostile environment, particularly uh, when I started in the 1970s as uh, uh Kathy mentioned the Broad Street Bullies. That was really rough and tough hockey, uh, and even the crowd was hostile. Uh, everybody tried to intimidate the referees, and uh, I, I could have used you back then because, <laughs> believe me, I had to figure it out on my own. So that's well, kind of what we as always, hear. we always come in at the last minute. Yeah, we want to hear <laughs> some, of, some of that, what you did learn. And so before we jump into uh, your book and some of the things that you've learned, Carrie. Uh, we always like to do a little peek into a person's history about who's been most influential uh, in your life, either around um, leadership or, or development. Well, you know, doctors, when, when you ask that question of anyone, I think they, they automatically reflect on their youth and growing up, and, and I don't think there can ever be a better influence or a more influential uh, aspect in, in a young life than the parents. And certainly my father, uh, both good and bad, I might add, uh, but my father was a former professional hockey player. He played in the minor pro leagues. He was really a tough guy. Uh, he was also a boxer. So I had, and I played... Uh, for him, he was a coach uh, of uh, our great uh, youth hockey teams that won all Ontario championships back in Canada uh, before I went on to play junior hockey, junior A, uh, which is where the uh, NHL drafts are players from. So in that formative years, uh, there was some good stuff that I gathered from, from tough Hilt Fraser, but also some things that I had to adjust and change. They became part of us as, as youth. Uh, certainly in my later uh, adult life, uh, I have to say that uh, uh, Jesus Christ is certainly the most influential person that I've ever had. I had a very mystical experience, number of them, uh, in a conversion starting in 1995, and and probably my wife Kathy uh, would be the the most influential person. She grounds me. Uh, I'm a type A personality. I'm a fast mover. Uh, I'm a control guy, as uh, it worked out well in the profession uh, that I was thrust into as a referee. Uh, but certainly, Kathy is a loving, calming influence and keeps me grounded. So uh, along my career, I had a lot of help, uh, certainly from, from colleagues and supervision. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of John McCauley, uh, who was the director of NHL officiating that uh, was a mentor for me. John, unfortunately, uh, passed away after the 1989 Stanley Cup Finals that I worked. Uh, Montreal and Calgary were in that final. And uh, John, uh, at 44 years of age, uh, suffered a, uh, a tragic end uh, with pancreatitis. So um, I think of him often. I even talked to him when I was on the ice uh, at certain times. And uh, those are the kind of of uh, sensations and, and realization that we never do something on our own. There's always someone or something that can influence us. Now, Carrie, I just love two stories that I just want to reference before we get into talking about your experience with 
being a referee and the key behaviors that are learned. But as you were going to your last and final game, you uh, you had two equipment bags packed. Um, one was your normal bag, and the second was a bag that you had nine number two jerseys in. Could you tell our audience what the purpose of the second bag with the nine number two jerseys in it were? Well, you know, Kathy and I have seven children, Kathy, and, and seven grand, or eight grandchildren now. And so I wanted to, at each commercial stoppage, uh, and there were there were three of them per period. I wanted to change discreetly out of one jersey, uh, mark it as a game worn jersey, and put on a new one for the next segment, if you will, uh, before the next commercial. Uh, so it was one that I something that I wanted to gift to them uh, at the end of my 30 year career, and they grew up in it. They grew up seeing me pack the bag and leave and and be away for two weeks at a time, uh, sometimes missing their uh, special events, birthdays. Uh, you name it, uh, graduations and such. Uh, so I wanted to share that with them as much as I shared my career uh, with them as well. And there was a fight that broke out, uh, and uh, Ian uh, Lapierre uh, was uh, fighting in the third period, and it just so happened it coincided with the commercial timeout. I put him in the Philadelphia Flyer penalty box. I snuck in discreetly beside him. I pulled a jersey off and I put the other one on. And this French Canadian kid, really a great guy, he said, Kerry, what do you do? I said, Well, I'm I'm taking the jersey off. This is a game worn jersey, my last game as you know, Lappy, and uh these uh, jerseys are, are for my children. He said, I will buy one. He said, I'll give you any amount of money. You tell me. I want one of your jerseys. I said, Lappy, they're not for sale. They're for my children. He said, would you adopt me then? I want that jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's a great story. Uh, the, the second story that I, I'd love you to share before we get started is in your forward by Wayne Gretzky, I mean, one of the world's greatest if not the world's greatest, you know, hockey legend. We use him so many times. You know, we refer to him so many times in leadership training when we talk about visioning because it was Gretzky who said, you look to where the puck will be and you skate in that direction, right? You don't go to where the puck is. You envision where the puck will be. And we use a lot of that same visualization when we talk about leaders. But in his in his forward to you, he, uh, he basically testifies in this short preface, and he says, hockey was Kerry's career and his passion, but he always kept things in perspective. His book makes clear that his family and faith were and are the most important and enduring things in his life. Sometimes a referee doesn't get much respect from anyone. The fans, the players, the coaches, all of us can be pretty hard on them. He says that you were probably the most fair and consistent of any NHL hockey referee, and you were voted the most consistent referee by a wide margin. That shows just how highly the players regarded your officiating. But in closing, he says, we can all agree that they have an extremely tough job to do, meaning being a referee. He says, I'm grateful for Curry's enjoyable and fascinating look at his career in life. And since 1994, Curry has worn number two on his jersey. But for myself, 
and thousands of hockey fans around the world, Kerry will always be number one. That's beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's well you know, the, the Wayne um, <laughs> taught me something in my very first season. He taught me something that stuck with me throughout my career, and it was through a confrontation we had in a game in Edmonton that I'll share with you in a little uh, while. Uh, but there are things that, that we bring to the table, things that are we don't even know about um, relative to character and strength and, and decision-making and how we deal with emotion uh, or when we're challenged, whether we fight or flight. Uh, right. But the one thing that Wayne also wrote in that forward that was very meaningful for, for me, uh, he said that as any player does, I had a few run-ins with Kerry over those years. In fact, it was probably more than a few. I don't think he was always right but I know I wasn't either. Players and refs often don't see things the same way in the middle of a game, but one thing Kerry always had from every player was respect. And you know, that's the thing I strove for the most doctors, was to be respected. It wasn't about being liked, because in that role of an arbitrator, uh, a police officer, uh, anyone that is in that position of authority can often be viewed differently and sometimes with disdain. But I didn't want them to necessarily like me, although that's a basic human need. I wanted them to respect me. And I found ways and developed ways of developing respect and rapport through communication skills that I didn't possess when I entered the the career and the profession. Uh, It was a learning-as-you-go experience, as I mentioned earlier. I didn't have, uh, you know, Dr. Nadler and Dr. Greenberg to help me along the way. Uh, But being thoughtful and and being reflective uh, and looking and analyzing in an honest way my performance each night, I learned a tremendous amount about myself and what would prove successful in making the game better, which was my objective, and a game that I love so much. Well, Kerry, uh, we definitely want to hear more about kind of your, your strategies, your reflections, and, and how you kept improving yourself over time. We're going, to go, we're going to go to a break, and then we'll be right back, and we'll, we'll find out some more, some of the gems and pearls that you have for us. This is Leadership Development News, and we'll be right back. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. 
For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking to NHL ref and author of The Final Call, Carrie Frazier. Carrie, let's talk about the book. Why did you decide to call it The Final Call, and where did you get the idea and the inspiration? Well, first of all, uh, the title was something that uh, I anguished over. Uh, you know, last call sounds like last call for alcohol at a bar. I didn't want that connotation. But it really was uh, bringing finality, I thought, uh, to a 30-year career. Uh, and I was known, uh, depending on the marketplace, for, for different controversial kinds of calls that I made. It, it just kept coming back to my role was... Uh, about making calls, making the tough calls, uh, expected to keep control of things, uh, enforcing rules and providing player safety. So it all came to rules and how I applied them with, with sound, sound judgment. Uh, so that's where the, the final call, it was my last one, as I, before I stepped off the ice in that uh, game in 2010 on the last day of the regular season. Uh, but in terms of uh, why I decided to write a book, you know, I loved the game and I loved people, uh, and I loved what I did. So I would walk into a restaurant or a bar after a game with my colleagues, and, and I was highly recognizable. I didn't wear a helmet, one of few that did, uh, did not. Uh, and uh, fans would be staring at me or scowling, and, uh, uh, you know, I'd approach them. And I, I found that body language was important, so I tried to disarm them quickly with a smile and an extended hand, introduced myself uh, by name. They knew who I was, uh, and I asked them right off the bat, did you have a question for me? Uh, yeah, I got a question for you, and they would be rather aggressive, and I would answer their question with patience and calmness, uh, and they would then ask a second question, and then a third. And before I knew it, it was more about getting them into the game on the other side of the glass. They wanted to know, when I talked to Gretzky on the ice, what did I say? If I talked to a coach at a certain time in a game, what was being said? What was the exchange? Their ticket that they bought, at very best, got them one row behind the glass, and they wanted to be on the ice. They wanted to be on the other side. And I could, by writing this book and sharing my experiences and the stories and my philosophy uh, of, of officiating and how to deal with people uh, even more so, uh, sometimes being the morality police on the ice and not just the referee, when things got carried, when things got carried away, when players would stoop to a level below the bar that I that I felt needed to be set. I would intervene, uh, force apologies sometimes, and there's some great stories in, in that from behind the scenes.
scenes uh, that people just are amazed, I guess would be the best word to describe how a referee uh, could um, enforce uh, sort of a moral code uh, on the ice uh, in a game uh, that is so violent at times and physical. So I wanted to bring people a vast market hockey fans uh, into my world and show them really what it was like. Uh, talk about the great players that they saw that they didn't know other than from what they saw on television or in the arena. So from that perspective, uh, it was a bestseller in hardcover and has been a bestseller in paperback. Um, and it sprung, uh, sprung me uh, to a, uh, a a secondary career as a hockey analyst with TSN, which is the ESPN of Canada. Well, that's that's fascinating. And then Kathy's got the book. I'm gonna to have to go out and get it. And you heard us in the beginning, Carrie, talking about you know how emotions are contagious, and, and in sports, um, you know it's probably the most contagious. You know, one with the players, and then with the fans. And as you kind of said so well, as a referee. Um, what would you say are some of the key behaviors for a referee? Because you are probably the one person that we're hoping is kind of the most rational and maybe the least emotional of probably everybody in the arena. Well, Remy, I, really, I, I must tell you that um, when I, I was thrust on the scene, I was a good little player. I played at the Junior A level in Canada where the, I was the captain of the Sarnia uh, Bees in the, uh, the Junior Ontario Junior Hockey League, and uh, I was undrafted. I had scholarship offers to Division One schools in the U.S. I wasn't looking at 20 years old uh, to move into the academic arena. Uh, I was perhaps going to play minor professional hockey, the American Hockey League, or, or uh, uh, in that uh, lower level just below the NHL. Uh, and it was recommended to me that I should get into officiating because I understood the game as a player. Uh, I was a good skater. Uh, and the gentleman who ended up coaching the Detroit Red Wings handed me a brochure to a referee school. I signed up. It was five days. I went to the school uh, in the fall of, of 1972, uh, and I found myself scouted and recruited by the NHL officiating department at that short camp. And two days later, I was invited and present at the NHL training camp for officials. Uh, they put me in their system. They signed me to a, an NHL contract, and I was off and running, armed with a whistle, with a jersey, and the authority that came with it. And, you know, I was a tough little player. I talked about my father, Hilt, who was a, a real tough guy and a boxer, and I played for him. Even at my small stature, uh, I was a go-to guy that he tapped on the shoulder whenever there was something that needed to be attended from a physical perspective on the ice. Uh, so I fought a fair amount, and uh, I was fast. I had fast hands, and I could fight better scared than they could mad. So I did pretty well in that regard. And while it helped me and served me well in my playing days, once I became an official, it was holding me back. That aggressive chip on the shoulder, little man syndrome that I didn't realize and recognize that was part of me, that I had it, it, it grown up with uh, to that point. And now I was in a different role within the game. And I had to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. But yet I had that chip on the shoulder. Uh, I would not be intimidated. Someone got in my face, I would throw it back at them. Uh, I had the authority, so I could penalize them. I could give them 10-minute misconducts and put them in the box uh, if they showed disrespect towards me. And, you know, I had a firm lesson in a very early uh, game 
and the home team was losing badly and frustration is a is an element uh, that we as referees have to deal with when teams and players are frustrated uh, they act and misbehave uh, as a result and this team was just getting crushed at home and every time they got scored on a player would come up and get in my face and say something disrespectful I'd bang my hips give them a misconduct and towards the end of the game I had this team sitting three or four deep in the penalty box and finally the coach had had enough of me and he sent over his captain very respectfully he said Mr. Referee my coach wants to know if he can get a penalty for thinking I looked at him I said well as long as he doesn't think out loud then it might be okay <laughs> the captain said well in that case he thinks you're a blank blank a-hole <laughs> well I found humor in it I started a smile and then I chuckled and I looked over at the coach who had pursed lips and hands on his hips and was angry and he saw my reaction and he smiled his mood lightened he started to laugh and it taught me a valuable lesson number one don't take yourself so seriously and you can find some humor uh, relax a little bit and that was the first uh, important lesson that I learned before I had an encounter with Mr. Wayne Gretzky in the Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton that same season. Great story. So let's get into some of the things that you talk about in your book. So, you know, when you think about being a referee and you you think about the key behaviors, uh, that was a great story. Any regrets that you have about what you needed to do to have a successful career as a referee? Well, you know, certainly I, I wished I had to learn sooner uh, the art of communication. Um, I found uh, in 1983, actually, I had an evaluation, and I was a very fast mover. Uh, you know, I started in the NHL uh, as a youngster. I moved up the ladder quickly. I wanted to make things happen. Uh, but there was that just that personality trait uh, that was holding me back. And I had a season-end meeting uh, with Mr. Scotty Morrison, who was the director of officiating at the time and then went on to be the curator of the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. And Scotty was small in stature, but he carried himself like a big man. Uh, he was very well respected. And as he analyzed and reviewed my performance ratings over the course of that season from different uh, supervisors that had seen me work. They were all good, and he flipped the pages fairly quickly, and, and he said, this is good, and this person said, this is good, and we have big things that we're expecting from you. And he closed his book and said, you're on track and actually ahead of schedule and keep up the good work. And I looked across the table, and I said, Mr. Morrison, would you mind opening the book one more time? Because... While everything you said is, is terrific, and I appreciate all the positive comments, I'd like to look deeper and see if there's something in there that is of a negative thread that I need to work on and get better at. And he was rather surprised with that question from one of his employees, but he opened the book, and sure enough, there was a common thread. It was sometimes appears to be arrogant, can be perceived as aggressive, challenging players, and I said, perfect, how do we go about fixing that? He gave me some terrific advice. He said to, to listen before you speak. Think about what you're going to say. Control the temperature of your, your body, uh, your emotion, uh, and be engaging and be able to have players be approachable. 
Well, I'll tell you, I took off like a rocket ship that next season with my career. Within two years, I was refereeing the Stanley Cup final as the youngest referee ever. And I found that developing relationships is the key success to any business. And I did it in such a way that, and really, it was really interesting in your opening. You talked about a thermostat, a body thermostat. Well, back then, I used my body as a thermometer, and I could feel the the thermometer rising. And when it got to my neck, I knew I had to take a breath, I had to relax, I had to bring that thermometer back down because once it hit my throat, the next move was out of my mouth. And if I said something that was inappropriate in a in a confrontation with a player, and I wanted to be the controlling influence, if two people are yelling at one another, it's going nowhere fast. So I would take a breath, I would choke it down, I would relax, and I would make an appropriate comment. I found also that body language was crucial for me because there were maybe 20,000 people in, a, in a, an arena that were viewing a confrontation that I was having verbally with a player standing right in front of me or a coach. That body language this was the signal that I was sending off, not just to the player or the coach, but to the 20,000 people that were watching me and perhaps millions on television. So I recognized that open palms is a is a sign of peace hmm. and a finger point is in your face kind of thing and a fist is i'm going to punch you so i was very cognizant of how i was being perceived and my voice inflection even to the point where i could set the tempo for a conversation when a coach or a player was yelling and screaming i would immediately take control visually with body language, but also with voice inflection. And I would solicit that person to let's have a conversation. I'd love to talk to you and explain your answer your question. But before we do that, I need you to calm down and let's talk. And that set the stage. It set the tempo. Uh, many, many incidents that uh, I can recall uh, and I've even written in the book about where hostile environment was quickly changed and tempered, and we had a conversation, even to the point where a coach, uh, Brian Murray, who was coaching the Washington Capitals, who was getting all kinds of bench penalties from all of the referees, I saw him standing in the Washington Cap Center, upset with a call that I had or had not made, on the top of the dasher boards, waving his arms, screaming and yelling. He looked like he was trying to fly, and I skated over to him with that body language I just mentioned, and I said, looked up at him, he's standing on top of the board, screaming and spitting, and I said, Brian, I'd love to have a conversation with you, but we've got to get you off the boards, and I need to calm down, and I said the word please. I always made a request with the word please, and he immediately came down to my level, and I started the conversation by saying, you may not agree with what I have to tell you, but this is the reason, and I gave him an explanation. And very thoughtfully, he looked at me, and he paused, and he said, well, Carrie, you're right about one thing. I don't agree with what you said, but thanks for coming over and talking to me. And at that point, a, a relationship that lasted throughout our, our careers together uh, was, was a positive uh, relationship developed and spawned from that moment. Well, we're going to have a wonderful relationship with you as soon as we come back from this short break. So don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News.
Are you a fearless leader? Fearless leaders stop at nothing to win while engaging others through positive action. Fearless leaders operate with a strong sense of freedom. They embrace the courage to fail. They respond to challenges with resilience. They operate from a higher consciousness and they excel through a mindset for success to increase everyone's ROL or return on leadership. You can too. Let Dr. Kathy Greenberg and a rare team of special operations coaches help you realize your full potential at fearlessleadersgroup.com. The Fearless Leaders Group applies a powerful coach approach beyond tools and techniques by fundamentally transforming a leader's core abilities and approaches to any business in as little as 90 days. Act now and receive a free bonus. Go to fearlessleadersquiz.com. Take the free assessment and find out what you are truly capable of. Go to fearlessleadersquiz.com to find the fearless leader in you and discover how being fearless truly equals freedom. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Uh, and we're talking with Kerry Fraser, an NHL uh, referee for over 30 years and certainly a top performer. So some of the things, Kerry, that you said and, and relate so much in kind of this fire line experience of you having self-control or impulse control, we call it, in the EI world, stress tolerance, kind of decision-making, which is made up of reality testing, problem-solving, and, you know, and being the rational mind in surrounding with, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people who are kind of probably irrational and quite emotional. So, you know, say a little bit more, because I know one of the comments you had in your book was, we have to learn to meditate on the ice while people are screaming at us. So how do you how do, you do that, and uh, what were some of your tips? Well, really, I must tell you that when I started uh, with as a young referee with the NHL, there were only 15 of us in the world. That was the marketplace, 15 only exclusive referees 
National Hockey League referees in the world. So uh, it was a you know tough nut to crack. Uh, some people failed. Uh, we didn't get a lot of coaching. And you know, in 1974, uh, when I first started the 73-74 season in the minor professional ranks as a contracted NHL referee, I would be a bit of a slow starter. And as I said earlier, I was very analytical. I, I always looked at my performance, uh, post-performance in a, in, a, in a way that would help me uh, get better uh, to teach myself things that I could have done better in a game. And I recognized that I was a slow starter. When I dropped that puck, I wasn't mentally prepared for what might take place right off the bat. Uh, whether it was a quick penalty, uh, the first infraction, there were times I was missing that first penalty, and then I had to play catch-up after that. It might unsettle the players. So even before visualization was popular, I would lay and, and Referees have an afternoon nap uh, after their lunch, uh, pre-game nap, whatever, just like players. And when I woke up uh, from my nap, before opening my eyes, I visualized the two teams and their jerseys and their numbers that would be playing in that game tonight. I would see each play, and I would go through the entire uh, rule book uh, uh, signals for referees tripping, slashing, hooking, high sticking, etc. And I would visualize a player who committed that infraction. I would see myself raising my arm and putting the player into the penalty box in a positive, calm way. There were others that I would view that were close to being penalties, but used good judgment and saw that they weren't. I would then go to the rink. I would be standing at center ice uh, during the national anthem, and I would again see the faces of the players that were standing on that blue line ready to start the game. And I would visualize each one of those players again committing an infraction that was an obvious call, that was the right call. And so I went through the calls visually before I had to drop the puck. I had already started the game in that moment when the puck was dropped. I'd already called every penalty conceivable in the book, and I was ready to go. I didn't miss or wasn't a slow starter from that moment on. Well, that's fascinating. I know, I know athletes do this visualization. So how, how long would, would that actually be? Like, How long would that take you to kind of go through what you just described? Oh gosh, just a matter of of uh, sixty seconds. Uh, oh, okay, uh, it, it, they're they're just quick bursts of of. But seeing them vividly was important yeah. in the mind's eye. I would see it clearly, uh, and there were times when when players would not commit an infraction that it would be close. The, the player might dive, his opponent might uh, embellish the foul, and those are the times when your judgment has to be extremely acute to know that it was not over the limit or threshold uh, to call a penalty. You know, I talked about learning about myself and and the character flaws, uh, if you will, uh, or the things that I had developed through my youth that weren't going to, they were going to uh, retard my, my growth uh, as, a, as a referee in the National Hockey League. And that chip on the shoulder in the Wayne Gretzky confrontation that I wrote about in the book, it was in the Northlands Coliseum, and you know, Wayne was a young player and I was a young referee, uh, and he tried to gain every advantage he could, especially in his home uh, rink, Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton. He was a god. He could do no wrong, and, and anybody that touched Wayne had to deal with either their enforcer or 
the wrath of the hometown crowd. So on this particular game, right off the bat, Wayne was touched by an opponent, and he embellished. He took a dive, and he was falling and looking for me to raise my arm, and it wasn't a penalty. I had It hadn't crossed that threshold, so Wayne fell down. And the more he tried to to draw fouls by diving, the more stubborn I got. And the Philadelphia Flyers were playing in that game. And with one minute left in the game, the Flyers were leading by a goal. Gretzky was standing behind the net in what was called his office. That's where he operated out of. The Philadelphia goalie caught the puck. I blew the whistle, stopped play. And Gretzky, standing all alone with nobody within 15 feet of him, jumped in the air, threw his hands out forward, feet out back, and did a belly flop on the ice. The captain of the Philadelphia Flyers was Bobby Clark. Legendary Bobby Clark skated over to Wayne Gretzky with no teeth, and the veteran player told Gretzky in no uncertain terms to get up and called him a blank baby. I went over to Wayne and I said, Wayne, what are you doing? There's nobody within 15 feet of you. Nobody touched you. What are you doing? He said, well, you wouldn't have called it anyway. You haven't called a blank thing all night. I said, you're right. I'm going to start right now. You've got two minutes for unsportsmanlike conduct. He said, thanks. It's about blank time you called something. And he stormed off the ice and went to his dressing room. He didn't even go to the penalty box. Now, at the end of that game, I reflected on it. Flyers won the game by a goal. And I had bested, I thought, Wayne Gretzky in a showdown of who was going to be intimidated and who was going to be the strongest will. I recognized that I had compromised my integrity, the integrity of the game, and I was drawn into a confrontation with what turned out to be the greatest player of all time. And it wasn't right. I wasn't doing what I should have done. And I couldn't live with myself to continue to make those kinds of poor decisions. And I realized that I had to be better. I had to be above it and not get drawn in to those kind of confrontations. It was a great lesson. Wayne Gretzky taught it to me. Amazing story. When you think of uh, how people become referees and what are the skills that are essential for them to be successful, Carrie, what, what, what are the top two or three traits, leadership traits, you really think are necessary to be a good referee? Well, Kathy, certainly uh, in any athletic endeavor, you have to have the physical assets uh, to perform uh, whatever it might be. In, in hockey, it's certainly skating, and, and uh, you have to have courage. Um, you have to have high integrity. Uh, you can't be intimidated. Uh, but, but for me, it's, it's about getting players to play on my terms without me having to impose myself. If I can keep that puck moving and flow, remember, we're in the entertainment business. That's what sport is all about, professional sport. Um, it's, it's to allow people to come to that rink, um, voice their, their enthusiasm for the game, but also their, their hometown uh, people, their, their team. Uh, and I need to not get in the way of that as much as possible. I need to keep control, uh, but I have to understand, you know, what what my role within the game is. People don't come to watch the referee. They come to watch the players. And if I can get them to perform on the edge in a physical game uh, by using some intelligence um, 
and certainly emotional intelligence, where I know and feel the temperature of the game, of the performers, whether there's a confrontation, a hostile situation that might develop between certain players. I need to take control of that, and hopefully in advance of before I even have to call a penalty. I can do certain things with intelligence that are going to get players to play on my terms uh, without imposing uh, a penalty, stopping the game. That's my primary objective. So, Kerry, we're, we're coming down to the close of this. This has been fascinating. I wish we had more time. But now you're a, a, a TV analyst at TSN. How have you evolved some of these skills as an analyst that you're using now? Well, you know, what I have to, number one, be honest. Uh, I, I function as a as a hockey analyst and come on ref, uh, where there's times I have to criticize or be critical of uh, my former colleagues. Uh, that's not an enviable task. Uh, it's not an enjoyable task. But I have to do it with three basic premise. One, I have to be totally honest. If it's right, it's right and it's wrong, it's wrong. Number two, I have to be fair. I have to put myself in their perspective and try and educate the fan that, yes, the referee or linesman may have missed that call, but let me show you why. It's not a perfect science. They're human. And that has humanized uh, the profession for for many uh uh, fans uh, that I'm able to teach uh, through this column and, and through my television comments. Uh, and thirdly, uh, I have to have an opinion. I can't sit on the fence. It's either this way or that way, but it seldom runs down the middle. Um, so for me, um, uh, it's about developing relationships, whether it's, again, on Twitter or with fans uh, or in my uh, new position as uh, Vice President of Business Development for All Access exec- Executive Solutions, uh, which, you know, is a, a sporting event hospitality business. Uh, it's about relationships. And I think we, as as moms, dads, grandparents, uh, whatever our workplace is, we have to recognize that relationship building is crucial and how we do it with intelligence is going to be uh, the uh, vehicle for success or failure. So let me just make sure all of our wonderful audience knows how to reach you. So for hockey-related questions, they can get you at TSN, which is the, uh, if you will, the the ESPN of Canada. That's ref, D-M-O-N-R-E-F, at tsn.ca. For your all-access executive solutions, that would be www.aaes.co, www.aaes.co. They can also reach you at 856-516-4230. And uh, your Twitter account, just to engage and keep tabs on what you're up to, K Frazier the Call, K-F-R-A-S-E-R, T-H-E-C-A-L-L, K. Fraser, The Call. Did I get all those in there correctly, Kerry? That's great, Kathy. It's, uh, yeah, Twitter is at K. Fraser, The Call. I communicate with over 35,000 Twitter followers per night. I'm asked questions about specific games. I'll look at the play. I'll give them the answer. And you know what's interesting? It's about that relationship stuff. Uh, I insist that we do it civilly on Twitter. Sometimes people can hide behind the anonymity of of Twitter. Uh, If it's foul, if it's vile, I don't respond. It's got to be above the line, no differently than when I refereed on the ice. Fantastic. 
Well, Carrie, uh, this has been uh, fascinating. You know, I think you've uh, optimized uh, many of the things that Kathy and I talk about, you know, around self-control and building relationships and being being smart and, and using your emotional intelligence. So thank you so much for taking the time and giving us some of your pearls of wisdom. Well, doctors, it's been my pleasure, and uh, especially uh, it's always an honor to speak to the First Lady of Happiness. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you like to say in the end of your book, we hope to see you at ice level. For those of you who are listening, thanks again for tuning in to help us tune up your executive leadership and your performance. And remember to visit us at www.excelinstitute.com. Take good care. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 